Good morning. Please open your Bible and join me in reading Proverbs 3, verses 27 through 33. And if you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 907. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways for the Lord detests the perverse and takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Thank you, Janae. Good morning, Encounter Church. It's good to be able to open God's word with you. Certainly just a couple more housekeeping items. I just want to bring to your attention next Sunday we'll begin a study. We'll begin our study through the book of Ruth. Uh, so this morning we're concluding our series on New Year's priorities uh, that we began here in the month of January. Next Sunday we'll be jumping into the book of Ruth and I encourage you to go ahead and start uh, reading that and studying that and meditating on it uh, on your own. And also, kind of a bit more of an exciting, well, that's exciting too, but another exciting uh, announcement is as uh, we are actually, next Sunday, you are going to show up here and there will, Lord willing, there will be new, comfortable, cushioned chairs throughout the sanctuary. Uh, Grace Fellowship Church, as many of you are aware, meets here on Sunday afternoons. And, uh, and they often are generous at the end of the year to the church in various ways. And this year, one of the ways in which they are expressing their thankfulness to allowing us, for us to allow them to meet here, is they contributed a significant amount of money uh, toward the church that is being used to purchase matching brand new, let me say it again, cushioned chairs here all right so yeah you can so if you uh if you have a friend who has been giving you an excuse of saying i'm not coming to your church because the chairs are uncomfortable they no longer have that excuse all right and jesse is confirmed that the cushioned chairs will actually buy me another 10 minutes of preaching so so uh, set your set your timer uh, back a little bit for your lunch plans right no, but that's exciting. So we're thankful. So um, if you get a chance, if you see Pastor Andy uh, or Grace Fellowship, we'll be uh, joining with them in some events uh, here again this year like we do every year. Uh, but just make sure you express their th your thankfulness to them as they are uh, generously providing the chairs that not only will we enjoy, but they will also enjoy Sunday afternoons too. So it's pretty cool. Uh, all right. Uh, hopefully, if you didn't make it there when Janae read, hopefully by this point in time, you find yourself here in the book of, book of Proverbs. And again, we're looking at what are some priorities, right? As we kind of, as often is the case, as a new year comes around, we try to reorient or reset our lives, our hearts, and, and maybe try to make some changes in our, in our lives. And so we started this year off uh, looking at, as, as Bill did such a wonderful job, encouraging us there on that first Sunday to trust God in the same way that we trust our GPS, right, without questions. We just kind of, okay, wherever you say I go, I go. Uh, to do that, uh, Bill did a wonderful 
job then, or not, uh, Dan then, uh, the next Sunday he instructed us to um, listen to God's word, like a son listening to his father's instruction to listen to God's word. Last week we looked at guarding our hearts. Above all else, scripture tells us to guard your hearts, and we were challenged to do that. And now here this morning, the priority, the instruction is to love our neighbors. Uh, We've already, uh, Pastor Dan mentioned it already, but we've already been reminded of Jesus' instruction there in Matthew chapter 22, uh, where it's that second, right? It's what's the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God. And the second is like it there, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, And so certainly one of Jesus' greatest commands is to love our neighbor as yourself, in fact, the, the command preceded by the command to love the Lord your God, right? God, Jesus kind of marries those two together. Now, many of us, right, when we hear the, the instruction to love our neighbors, we like the idea of loving our neighbors, right? We think, yes, that's what we want to do. We like the idea of loving our neighbors until we actually meet all of our neighbors. Uh, it seems like each of us, maybe uh, we have... Maybe that one or two neighbor. Uh, and again, it's, um, and if you don't know who that neighbor is, maybe it's you. I don't know. But we, we often have that, that neighbor or so that is maybe just a little bit more difficult for us to love. And so it really presents us with a challenge where we say, God, help me to love my neighbors. Because most of us, let's face it, we, right, Mr. Rogers uh, doesn't live beside us. He's not our neighbor, uh, nor do any of us live in in a idealistic city called Mayberry, right? In fact, uh, maybe on the other end of the, the spectrum, we do tend to, it seems that we're living in very deeply divisive times. Uh, we, we live in a time in which uh, neighbors find themselves at odds with one another. I don't need to remind you, but uh, the political climate, especially as we enter into another election year, uh, it just brings another reason for division in our neighborhoods, the social justice climate, the economic climate. Uh, even, sadly, even some of the ongoing cracks in society that were exposed by COVID several years ago, right? All of these continue to draw lines of division that just seem to continue to be exasperated by the news and social media cycles. Uh, opinions and responses, these to so many of these powder keg issues, uh, they kind of, they cause us uh, to be divided, to struggle to love the very people who maybe live next to us. And so what do we do? We, we put up privacy fences to try to keep them away so we can have our little sanctuary, our safe place. Let's face it, living next door to us are people who are different than we are. They have varying preferences. They have differing opinions. They hold to opposing worldviews. They live according to a completely different set of moral values, if they even have a set of moral values at all. And yet, we are called to love them because they are our neighbors. The command to love your neighbor as yourself does not change based upon who your neighbor 
is or what neighborhood you live in. The command from Jesus stands. Love your neighbor. And so this morning, we're concluding this bit of a mini-series looking at New Year's priorities, looking at the priority of loving our neighbors. Janae has read it for us already. I will read it again just, uh, just to try to cement some of these truths in our, in our minds and in our hearts. We look then back here at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. And I do encourage you, have a copy of God's Word open. That's why we've got them there at the chairs for you so that it just makes it easier for you to follow along. Uh, as you're as you're reading this, and maybe if you're the note-taking type of person, uh, you might even make notes uh, if you brought your own copy of God's Word. Um, but let's look here again at verse 27. It says, "Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, "Come back tomorrow, and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you." Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they've done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses. He blesses the home of the righteous. First here in this text, when it comes, what, what we learn here when it comes to loving our neighbors is it's the instruction to be generous in our goodness toward our neighbors, that we should, we should be generous in our goodness. In our neighborhoods, we are agents, we're ambassadors of God's goodness. We are living and breathing testimonies that God is generous and He is good to us. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 31, 19 writes, he says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. So we understand as followers of Jesus Christ, God has given us, He has blessed us with many good things, and we in turn then are to be ambassadors. We are to be generous in our goodness, in particular to those people who live in close proximity. That's what the Proverbs is right the, the author here of Proverbs is, is writing this. He's speaking in, in, in close proximity to us. Right? He, he says there again, we look there again at, at verses 27 and 28 where we see the, this idea, this instruction of being generous in our goodness. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it was due. It is due. When it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. You know, I think there are probably many different reasons why we neglect doing good or being generous with our neighbors. Probably a number of different reasons. A few reasons that I uh, considered as far as why is it, right? What is it that maybe holds me or, or causes me to, to kind of keep my hands in my pockets when I know I should be open and generous with my neighbors? What is it? Uh, I think for some of us, some reasons why we struggle or fail to be generous in our goodness is because... Uh, Maybe we feel it's going to require too much of us, right? I, I've already got a busy schedule, and I just don't feel like I have time to, to do this for them, or maybe that person just seems to be 
overly needy for one reason or another, and it's, it's just going to require too much of me. And so instead of being, I see the need, but it's going to require too much, so instead of trying to step in and meet that need, I just kind of keep my hands in my pockets, and I act as if I'm not seeing the need. Or maybe we are hesitant to be generous in goodness toward our neighbors is because we've worked hard for what we have. I've worked hard for this, and I deserve this. So I'm going to keep this to myself. And so instead, we don't want to live open-handedly with our neighbors, right? Because we feel like we deserve it. Or even at times, maybe we feel as if uh, we might run out of what we have, right? It's, it's this idea that there's only so many slices of pie, right? How many of you and your family, right? If you've, right, uh, Thatcher made this in really good cake this week and, and decorated it. It looked really, really pretty and and it tasted incredible, you know, and so you start getting down to the end of that, of that cake and you start kind of vying for position, right? Who's going to get the last piece of cake? And so that's when everyone else isn't looking. That's when I grab the, this fork and I just start taking bites, right? And just kind of make it look like no one was here. And so you just eat it, right? But that's tends, sometimes that's how we operate with the goodness that God gives to us. We act as if uh, God is not abundant in his resources toward us. And so we, we keep things, we have this scarcity mentality. But wisdom tells us here, wisdom tells us that it's our responsibility to do good to others, to be generous in goodness to others. In fact, it's, it's an obligation that God has entrusted to us good gifts to care for and to steward. Why? For the purpose of offering them to our neighbors. Again, we're tempted at times to hoard them, to keep them to ourselves. But yet the, the wisdom says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in, in your power to act. In fact, in the New Testament, we're instructed in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. In, in the New Testament, we're instructed to do good. It goes on and it says to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In other words, if, if you have the capability and the opportunity to be generous in doing good to your neighbor, then it is your responsibility to act. We almost get this sense that we are in disobedience to the Lord uh, when we know what the right thing to do is, and yet we fail to follow through in doing the right thing. In fact, in James 4.17, that's what James tells us, that whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. And so, church, when you look out your window and you see your neighbor in need, how do you respond? Do you quickly back away from the window hoping your neighbor did not see you, right? right? Maybe something's going on and, and you kind of back away and you hope that they didn't see you. Or do you run out the door ready to lend a helping hand? I think this happened to... Uh, 
maybe it was last year or the year before, right? You've heard me say, right, this, this is the time of year, especially when we kind of get those freezing rains or those snowfalls that kind of hit, hit abruptly or rather quickly that the hill in front of our road gets really slippery and cars fail to get up. And I remember uh, a year or so ago, I uh, was up for some reason. The Lord woke me up. I, I certainly believe that God woke me up in the middle of the night. And so I went out to get a drink of water and I looked out my window and it, what happened was exactly that. Our, our road was snow covered and yet up the hill, I saw a car with their emergency lights, their hazards blinking and they were stuck and they were unable to get up that hill. And can I tell you something? It was cold outside. It was cold outside, and my bed that I had just gotten out of was super warm, and it was super comfortable. And I looked there, and I thought, man, and I was trying to come up with every excuse to not go out there. And yet, I just felt this nudging, and I, I, I put myself in the place of that car, of the driver of that car, and I thought, what if you were stuck, Michael? And what if someone looked out the window and saw that they might be able to lend a help, helping hand and yet they just turned their back on you, on you and went back to bed. And so I went in and I woke Marin up. She was ex excited about that. I woke Marin up and I said, babes, I'm, I'm going out there to help this car. Don't know what I'm going to get into. So if I don't come back here in a few minutes, right, call the police or come out and check on me so you can join me in the misery. And... Uh, and so I went out there, and it was a, it was a young gal uh, from Florida, a young gal who was on her way home. She had worked late at her job, and she was stuck, and she needed help. And I thought, man, I'm thankful that I didn't turn my back on her. Unfortunately, there have been many, too many, there have been too many times when I have turned my back on those who have found themselves in need, but... But the, the author here, wisdom, tells us to not do that. And it says that the timing of doing good toward our neighbors is in their hour of need. You see, there, what does he say? He says, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. When is the time to do good to our neighbors? When they're in need. You see, the good that we do should be done promptly. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Often we put off our neighbor's need until later. And when we do that, I think sometimes in our minds we're secretly hoping that someone else maybe will pick up the slack, that someone else will take care of it, or maybe somehow the need will go away, or maybe even that we'll just innocently forget about it. I think I've been caught in that act far too many times of having good intentions but failing to follow through with good works. The author doesn't say have good intentions when your neighbor is in need, does he? No, he says to act when your neighbor is in need. Our good intentions are a poor substitute for our good works. You see, because your neighbor's need is today's need. Your neighbor's need is, today, is today's need. And what a joy it is to be used by God in such a way that we can help their neighbor, their, our neighbor during their hour of need. In fact, in our Lord's Prayer that we recite together as a church once a month, 
We pray these words. Give us this day our daily bread. What if God is using you as a means of providing for your neighbor's daily need? That's because of the proximity that we have to our neighbors. That we can be the first to offer them a helping hand even before their own family arrives. Look, then in, in Proverbs 27, wisdom tells us this. It says, do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family, right? And do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. But what does it say? Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. What's, what does he say? Is that, that you have been put in a unique position to be the first one on the scene, to be the first one who can step in and lend a helping hand, and who can, who can be generous in good things, good needs. Maybe you have a neighbor who uh, is expecting a child with a baby, and, and maybe you can offer yourself to say, hey, when you, when you sense that you're going into labor, call me, and I'll come over and I'll watch your children while you... Get, your, get yourself to the hospital. Or maybe you have a neighbor who maybe their, right, their, their lawnmower is stuck and who knows what, and you can be the first one. Before, before the mechanic can get there, you can be the first one to go and lend a hand. I wonder, church, do our neighbors know that they can call us any day of the week, any hour of the day, and that, that we'll do whatever we can do to lend a helping hand. Do they know that? In fact, let me, or, or even call us at any hour of the day to lend a helping hand. Thank you, that was a promptly place there. But let me even push this a little bit further, right? And I've asked this question before, and I'll ask it again. If you were to move from your neighborhood in the mil- middle of the night, would your neighbors miss you? Would they miss you? See, God is generous and timely in His goodness to us, and we should do the same to our neighbors, that we should be generous in doing good, not tomorrow, but in their hour of need today. Well, the next one then is this, verses 29 and 30 through 30, that we should be trustworthy in our motives. Solomon continues by instructing us to be a trustworthy neighbor and that that our motives should be trustworthy. You see there, starting reading again in verse 29, look there in your Bibles, it says, do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for, for no reason when they have done you no harm. You see, how we interact with our neighbors our interaction with them should put them at, at ease. Even, even when there are times of disagreement, right? There, there's, there's a way to, to interact with them, even when you might disagree, that, that allows them to walk away, not in disgust, but even at times agreeing to disagree. You see, how we interact with our neighbors should put them at ease. They should walk away from us assured that we have their best interest and their security in mind. We have a unique responsibility toward our neighbors to earn and maintain their trust. That we can earn the trust of our neighbors even when we might have 
differing worldviews or understandings of what is right and true and how we are to live. We, they should still be able to trust us. They should still understand and, and, and be confident that we have their, their security in mind, right? Why are, ring, why are ring doorbells so popular and necessary? I'll tell you why. Because we don't trust our neighbors. That's why. Because we don't even know who our neighbors are. Because we've lost the ability to call our neighbor up in a time of need. So I wonder, what are some ways that you can build trust with your neighbors? Right? How are you intentionally getting to know your neighbors? How are you establishing opportunities to spend time with them? To be intentional in talking with them? To offer help to them? To care for their dogs when they're on vacation? To, mow, to be willing to mow their yard if they need help, weeding their flower beds, send the kids over to weed their flower beds, and you go too, right? Might I even say, even taking care of your house and your yard is a, is a way of building trust with your neighbors. Right? How, how are you... I think of, sorry, Trent Natty, I'm going to pause, right? Trent Natty just bought, bought a, a cute home, and they, they, they live on this wonderful cul-de-sac. And, and I, that is such a wonderful opportunity for them to get to know their neighbors right there in that cul-de-sac. How are you stepping into that and taking that initiative to say, how are we going to build community right here within our neighborhood? And it could be as simple as having that basketball hoop up outside your house in that cul-de-sac and just going out there regularly shooting hoops, right? Paul, you got a basketball hoop out in front of your house, don't you, right? Just go out there and then invite the neighborhood buddies in, right? That's a way of, of building trust, of doing that, right? Do your neighbors have reason to trust you and feel secure around you? The first house that my uh, wife and I moved into was there off Linwood Way, uh, not far from here. And next door, and, and Ellie still lives there, Ellie, uh, a, a, a World War II German war, war bride. Um, uh, she lived right there next door again. She still lives there. Uh, but I, I remember early on, you know, just the sweetest lady. And so we spent time in our front yard uh, getting to know her and 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 hearing stories from her, and trying to build that trust. And I, I remember as Marin and I, as we were doing some renovations inside the house, right, she could probably see that, you know, things were kind of moving and shaking in there a little bit. And, and so uh, at one point in time, we saw Ellie was out in front of her house. She was sitting in her chair out in her front yard, and, and we happened to be out there, and, and we said, hey, Ellie, would you like to come in and see the work that we've done? And Ellie responds, this is classic. In fact, Marin said this just the other night. She re reiterated this. And Ellie responds to our invitation to come inside to see the work we've done. Ellie says, no need. I've already peeked in the window. <laughs> but the fact that she trusted us to be willing to share that with us. Just say, no, sorry. I've already looked. Right? Do you have that relationship with your neighbor? I'm not telling you all to be peeping toms, but, but, but I think you understand, right? Don't, don't get the police called on you. 
I think many of us have experienced the anxiousness that comes along with moving to a new neighborhood or even having new neighbors move in next door. Right? In those situations, we do wonder, what are those neighbors going to be like? Are they going to be loud and obnoxious? Are they going to mow their lawn in a timely manner? Are they going to take care of their home? Will they be friendly? Do they have noisy children? Are they going to have late night parties? Right? Are they going to have cars sitting out and, and filling up the cul-de-sac? Do they have dogs? Are they going to leave their outdoor Christmas decorations up until July? Right? The list could go on and on and on. And ultimately, what we're wondering is, we're wondering, am I going to, be feel, am I going to feel safe living next to these people? Am I going to feel secure? Or will I always find myself looking over my back shoulder or out the back door in concern? And sadly, all too often, we have formed our own opinions of the neighbors before we've even said hello to them. You see, Solomon tells us that our neighbors should have reason to trust us. Trusting us even in our motives is what he's telling us. That, that they trust us in our motives. That, that we take them a plate of cookies, not because we want something from them or we're trying to get something down the road from them, but just simply because that's what we do. We love our neighbors. That, that's, the, that's the end of our motivation. Because we know it, it is possible to be generous in our good works toward our neighbors and yet still inside have impure thoughts or motives about them in our minds. You see, Solomon, what he's doing here in this wisdom that he's giving us is he's taking us beyond moral obligation and he's taking us into moral excellence. He's encouraging us to lend Lend your car to a neighbor who might be in need, right, is different than lending your heart to a neighbor in need, right? You can give your neighbor, speaking here, you can give your neighbor a dozen eggs, but while you're doing it, you might be harboring bitterness toward that neighbor. So Solomon is saying, check your motives. Are they trustworthy? Right, if your motives could be put on display toward your neighbor, would, would your neighbor run for cover? I think another danger that wisdom is addressing in these verses is these verses and, and being trustworthy in our motives also has to deal with how we perceive them. Right? Even sometimes the prejudices or the accusations that we might form in our minds before we even have reason to have those. You see, Solomon tells us, he says there in that verse, he says, accuse, do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. I think Jesus uses the parable of the Good Samaritan to confront the prejudices that we harbor toward other, others. It seems like e- even more, probably more so today than ever, we allow the seeds of distrust and prejudice to be planted in our hearts through neighborhood gossip and through those neighborhood apps. Right? We read online. Maybe you're part of online message boards and we read what neighbors might be saying about other neighbors 
maybe not directly, but we know that there's a name that is underlying that comment that is posted on that message board, and we know who it is. And what happens is we read these online message boards and we, we adopt the views that are be, being presented to, to us about certain individuals or certain families. And the repetition of those message boards tempts us to assume, what, what do we do? We tend to assume the worst about those people who are living nearby. Or maybe in one way or another, we take offense. We circle the wagons or we get upset. And so oftentimes, those perceptions are based on second or third hand online conversation chatter. And we allow our perceptions to be shaped by others before we ever even meet the person ourselves. Are you trustworthy in your motives? And what you do to them, but even in how you perceive that person. You know, honestly, it seems like a lot of neighborhood disagreements uh, could be avoided if we would adopt these words that I have gained from my mother-in-law. Back in October, we were visiting uh, my in-laws up in near Indianapolis, Indiana, and I walked into the bathroom, and there. And I don't, I don't think Brenda po posted it just for me. I think she'd had it up for a while. But I walked into the bathroom and posted there on the bathroom mirror. And I took a picture of it, and I'll show it to you here, are these words. And that, that flipped the wrong way. Uh, but I'll read it to you. So that, was, came, that did not come out how, as it should. But there's, there's a post-it note. And on this post-it note, it says, Lean toward mercy. Have a forgiving spirit. Default toward grace. Let me read that again. Lean toward, right, as we're trustworthy in our motives, as we're trustworthy, as, as we try to have the right perception about our neighbors, and when we might be tempted in one way or another, right, to harbor bitterness or, or to, to assume perceptions that we have no reason for assuming of regarding our neighbors because we've never even had conversation with that person. But even in so doing, to lean toward mercy, lean toward mercy, have a forgiving spirit default toward grace. Sadly, we default toward offense. So we should be trustworthy, Solomon tells us in these verses. And then finally, the third is this, is that we should be peaceful in practice. We should be peaceful in practice. We see it here in 31 through 33. It says, do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. See, the wisdom in these verses instructs us to keep our lives free from violent, harmful, or oppressive practices in an attempt to try to get our own way. And instead, the opposite of that, the response that we should have toward others, toward our neighbors, is that we should be peaceful. We should be men and women who bring peace to our neighborhoods. 
those who are violent are loud and obnoxious. Those who, who, who are not peaceful are argumentative. They're malicious. They're backbiters. They're swindlers. They're arrogant. They're deceitful. They're filled with greed. They're gossips. They don't hesitate to talk about their neighbors behind their back. They're prideful in, in how they act. They act in all of these ways that are unbecoming to a Christian, to a man or woman who is to be of peace. Instead, the actions that we should display toward our neighbors should be that of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And rather than forcing or demanding our way, we should entrust our families and our homes to the blessing of God. Right? Sometimes we, we try to get our own way because we don't truly trust in God's blessing. We think it's something that I have to shove, that I have to push around and I have to, have to get my, in my own way. But instead, we should entrust ourselves. That's, that's, what, that's what Solomon tells us there, especially in, in verse 33. What does it say? He blesses the home of the righteous. You see, when we find ourselves, listen church, when we find ourselves satisfied in God's blessing, whatever form that might be in our homes, but when we're satisfied with God's blessing, what it does is it releases us from the enslavement of having to get our own way in the world. Why should we envy those of this world when we've been given all the blessings of eternal life in the world to come. We've been given Jesus, right? How is the home of the righteous most blessed? In the fact that you have Jesus, that you have the, that you have the hope of life eternal. See, the reason why people tend to turn to violence is because they're not getting what they want. And believe me, this begins in early childhood when two toddlers fight over a toy and extends all the way up to what we witness in our world today as adults. Brother and sister in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are blessed. And that's not a blessing that, that is defined by material possessions. That's a blessing that's defined by eternal possessions. And because we are blessed, we then are freed to be able to live peacefully in this world. You're free to be peaceful in your practice because you've been undeservedly and unimaginably blessed by the Lord. Church, are Jesus and His promises enough? Is that enough? And can you rest in these truths? Even though the world around us might be following apart, we still have the peace of Christ, a peace that passes all understanding. We're reminded of Jesus' words. Then in, in John 14, where Jesus said, Peace I live, leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so toward our neighbors, how can we be peaceful in our practice? Let me just give you a few, a few suggestions. How can we be peaceful in our practice toward our, toward our neighbors? Well, we can refrain from being argumentative toward our neighbors who might disagree with us. 
We can be quick to forgive our neighbors who wrong us or ask for our forgiveness when we wrong, for their forgiveness when we wrong them. We can refuse to participate in gossip over the back fence or the social media channels. We can genuinely rejoice when our neighbor gets a job promotion and a big pay raise. We can help our neighbors in that backyard project they might be working on. We can be gracious when our neighbor neglects to clean up after their dog who left a mess in our front yard. We can share our meals with our neighbors who don't even share our same beliefs. We can still share our meals. We can be filled with sorrow when our neighbor loses a loved one to cancer. We can offer a hug to the neighbor whose son is battling a drug addiction. We can love those neighbors who might go around slandering our reputation. And we can regularly commit ourselves to praying for our neighbors. Church, when was the last time you prayed for your neighbors? Are you praying for your neighbors? Are you praying that they would experience the peace of God that comes only through Jesus Christ? See, it's because God blesses the home of the righteous that we can be peaceful in our practice toward our neighbors. And that we should strive to be trustworthy, a trustworthy and a peaceful person whom our neighbors can turn to when the struggles and the burdens of life become unbearable. So what's a priority that we can strive for this year? To love our neighbors. And I hope this morning that God's Word and His Holy Spirit has brought to mind in your, in your hearts ways that you can be a better neighbor. Ways that you can apply this Right? Again, don't just know the right thing to do and walk away without doing it. But how can you this week, maybe even this very day, take this and apply it and begin to live it out? See, we do this because ultimately Jesus indeed is the great neighbor, isn't He? Jesus is the one who set the example of what it looks like to love our neighbors. That Jesus left the throne of heaven to love those who hated Him. To die on the cross so that they might be forgiven of their sins. Jesus leaving heaven and coming and dwelling among us reminds us that we're not called to live in isolation from our neighbors, but instead we are to live lovingly in the midst of our neighbors, doing like Jesus, giving ourselves for their benefit so that they might see the love of Christ through us. 
So church, at this time, I invite you, for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He left the throne of heaven to live a life of perfect obedience, to then take on Himself the sin that each and every one of us have committed. To take that upon Himself and to die the death that we deserve because of our sin. History and Scripture then records for us that Jesus on the third day rose again, defeated death, gaining victory over sin and death. And we believe that to be true. And He then imparts to us, gives to us life, not only in this world, but life everlasting. And that can't be taken from us. And because of that, we then can give ourselves to other people, to our neighbors, so that they too might believe. And so communion is this reminder that we practice every week, reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us there on the cross. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice represents the blood that was spilled on our behalf. And we take part in this until Jesus returns. And so church, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you to take part in this. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, my encouragement to you today is to do that. Is to not wait any longer, but to believe in Him. And to receive that gift of forgiveness. But until then, this time is reserved for the members of God's family. And so we take this bread. We're reminded that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He passed it around to the disciples. And He told them that this was His body that was going to be broken for them. And to eat it, to remember Him. Let's do that together. Jesus then also took the cup, the wine, helping us be reminded of his blood that was going to be shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And we believe that to be true, and we drink of this together. And we look forward to when Jesus returns. And we anticipate that. Church, some of our greatest opportunities are just out the back door. Some of our greatest opportunities are just across the street, are just across that cul-de-sac. How are you going to love your neighbor starting today? Would you pray with me? Father, now I ask, Lord, that you would take the truth of your word and that you would drive it deep into our hearts and help us now, God, to apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, to live this out. And I pray this in Jesus' name.